Last week we had another, like with St. Luke's Day, we had another interruption uh, in the normal course of the, of the readings through the Green Sundays, and so we missed the first reading from the Book of Ruth, but I just, to uh, connect to last Sunday, to remind ourselves, since the Green Sundays are about the cost, the ways, the means, the nature of Christian discipleship. And so when you talk and think about sanctity and what sanctification means in our own lives and our own call to be saints, uh, last Sunday reminds us that it isn't that we're trying to create people who are engaged in uh, heroic saintly activities only, but in the slow, steady improvement and growth in the ordinary and commonplace aspects of our human lives, personally, internally, and in relationship. And so um, the readings today maybe have something uh, to do about that. I'm going to preach about the reading from the book of Ruth that allows me to do some 3995 uh, biblical stuff about the book of Ruth generally and what some of the um, issues are in modern biblical scholarship. And also the famous story in Mark's gospel of the widow's might. It appears, I believe, only there. I don't think it's in Luke, and it certainly isn't in Matthew, and I think Matthew wouldn't know, have known what in the world to do with this reading. But in any case, it's a very important uh, reading for a number of uh, reasons. So let's start with the book of Ruth. Uh, in my ministry over time, uh, when I uh, talk to a, a couple that I'm going to marry, uh, I'm married already, but you know what I mean when I. <laughs> and uh, the um, and we get to the planning of the liturgy and how it works and everything else. Every once in a while, someone will say, "Oh, I want you to read that beautiful passage from the Book of Ruth." <coughs> Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people. And I say, well, you know, we, we can read that, but you need to know that in that passage, Ruth was speaking to Naomi and not to Boaz. <laughs> so I've actually had a few people who will say, Nobody will know. <laughs> and the unfortunate thing is, they're right. <laughs> so we missed it last week. That's where it occurred, right at the beginning in, the, in chapter 1. And today we have some more uh, things that are, are apposite to, to what the book is about. So let me talk a little bit about that. There are two views about when the book of Ruth was written. Uh, some say that it was written in between uh, t um, 1000 B.C. and 800 B.C. And there are others who say that it was written after the Babylonian exile, which would put it in the 500s B.C. Now, uh, the issue there is this. This is a book that occurs in the canon, in other words, in the order of the books in an odd place. And some biblical scholars think that's because that's where it was located in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, the Old Testament written in Greek. But it may have been there for a reason, because this is a book about something, a, a number of things, but 
one of the very important ones is liberate marriage. And what that is, is a practice whereby if a woman is married to a man and he dies, and the man who dies has a brother, the brother takes the woman and marries her, even though he may be married, and has children by her or raises the children that she has from, the, uh, f from her former husband. So there is a, something called the Leverate Law. I actually went on YouTube and heard some rabbis in Hebrew opining about the Leverate Law in 2012, you know. So it's an issue that people still talk about. You may think, well, that is just some ancient thing that just has no application today and we shouldn't even be talking about it and that's why I'm glad I'm not yeah, with that. Well, Leverate Marriage has operated in the West more than one time, and in fact, Henry VIII married Catherine of Aragon, who was his brother's wife, because he died. So Leverate Marriage has, has occurred, let's say, close to the bone here. Uh, as we think about it, you know, we're, we're sort of not above these, these things. So leverate marriage is what, in one sense, this is about, but it's also about something, I think, far more important. And locating it, the other piece is, here are the other two things. The other one is, if it's before the exile, its pur purpose, in addition to leverate marriage, is to talk about David's line, King David's line, because what does it say to us in the lesson today that they had a, a boy... Obed, who was Jesse's father, who was David's father. So when you're talking about the establishment of the Davidic monarchy, this is a way of showing uh, that there's, he's connected up in this way. These things will become important even in the New Testament because people are paying, particularly Matthew, to connect Jesus to David. And so the genealogies that are in the beginning which may have some difficulties, uh, are still uh, for that purpose. Because there was a desire to say, well, you see, Jesus stands in the line of the Davidic David, Saul, the halcyon days of Israel, and he now is the Messiah who's going to bring all that back to us in history. But I think the other issue that to me is the most important, and maybe if it was written after the exile, uh, this gets reinforced as one of the main points of the book, and that is that people who are not uh, part of the covenant, non-Israelites, can be included and in fact make a contribution. So it's a commercial message in the book of Ruth for inclusion and for diversity, because Ruth was a Moabite. She was not a Jew. She was from some other group, and so she was them as opposed to us. And this is a book about them becoming us. And Christianity teaches that if you want to err on the side, on some side, you err on the side of inclusion and generosity. But that's where you, where you do that. And so it's one of the stories in the Hebrew Bible that tells us something uh, about the importance of doing that, and also something that would have been part of the thought world at the time of Jesus. They would have known about this strain 
that operates, not just the legalism that we're talking about with the liberate law, but also with regard to the continuity of the community and also about the fact that we have, uh, we, we, uh, we welcome and now incorporate uh, people who are different from us. And so this is, uh, this is very important. Um, so I guess the lesson that we take away from this is that one, that we should err, always err on the side of generosity and inclusion, and that's what happens. And the community in which with, that Ruth was involved in and Naomi and all, they, they were blessed by her presence as they move forward now uh, and to return to where they were from. So, Mark and the widow's might. Have you noticing all these readings are occurring around stewardship time? So this has something. To, does it have anything to do with stewardship? Well, it might. But you know, this is not really just about uh, the idea that um, uh, Jesus was uh, chewing out the leadership for their uh, self-aggrandizing practices with their giving or trying to make uh, uh, value judgments about how much people give. It's kind of complex because although it's true that the religious leadership of Jesus' day around the temple were very ostentatious, there was probably a lot of inside dealing going on and uh, the, uh, uh, the public accolades that they sought for their generosity had something to do with maybe political ambitions within the temple precincts. So Jesus properly identified what was going on there, but also they were in all probability fulfilling their responsibilities as public people then in some way. So there's always some a degree of ambiguity. Let's hope that their giving had a little bit more effect than the $400 million that was spent in the last election that produced no results of any kind. So we need to think about, you know, what the purpose of our generosity uh, is for. But in the reading today, this is a story, you know, in the ancient Near East, widows were very powerful people. And they were, they were very central to the life of the uh, community. By the time we get to the 4th century or 5th century AD, we begin to see, for example, that in the city of Rome, the Church of Rome was looking after, on a regular basis, about 1,500 to 2,000 widows. That this was one of the central uh, works of the deacons in Rome, uh, of which St. Lawrence was the most famous of all the deacons. He's the one who's shown being martyred on a gridiron. Not a football field, but a, you know, a barbecue. But there's also a wonderful painting of him in Pope Nicholas V's chapel in Rome wearing a pink dalmatic, carrying a big sack of money for the widows. And he's on his way to uh, help the widows and to be part of that, to part of that work. So this widow comes and she puts two coins. In the Greek text, they say lepta, which means the, the smallest coins that are uh, in, the, in, in the Roman world at the time. So she puts all of her resources uh, there. Complete trust in God. 
it reminds me of something that is important to say during the stewardship season, and that is stewardship is what you do with 100% of what you have. So it doesn't mean just something about what you give in a way to the church or some charity. It has to do with how you look after your resources and what you do with them. And this is a story about somebody who certainly demonstrated the maximum amount of trust in God, right? She gave it all. And most of us are not going to give it all, nor should we. But at least it's an example of somebody who modeled for these big shots uh, what true stewardship is in many ways, complete trust in God. And that's why Jesus paid attention to her in the midst of all of the goings-on and the trumpets being played and so forth. Think about who he's talking about. In that world, when you needed to have interpretations of the law and some understanding about how to comport yourself as a faithful Jew, an observant Jew, by all accounts, Jesus was absolutely observant. The only way he could have gotten inside the temple precincts when he did was because he was in a state of ritual purity which would have enabled him to do that. So he wasn't a slacker about the practice of his religion. And you needed the scribes because they were the ones who could read the, read the law and they were the ones who could talk about the Torah, right? So I heard the other day, I read the, the other day in, a, in an essay about Jesus, um, this person who wrote the essay, uh, Amy Jill Levine, who is a famous biblical scholar, she's Jewish, she said she believed Jesus was a halakhically observant Jew. Halakha is the walk, you know, going along the, that he, 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 he did what he, he practiced his religion in, in that sense. He walked the walk. He walked the walk. <laughs> when I lived in Tucson, Arizona a long time ago, there was um, a movement to, to have people carpool. And there were, bump, there were billboards all over Tucson, Arizona that said, Kalaka, which is the Babylonian word for Kalaka, right? So, Kalaka. So the radio ad was, uh, you know, Kalaka, walk the walk, or carpool. So they, we are talking today with the original share the ride man, Noah. <laughs> and he said, Noah, did you have the word carpool when you lived? He said, no, we called it Kalaka. <laughs> so, remember that, you know. That, my way of, it's just an odd thing. But there it is. It's, there's another ad that just popped into my head for, for the... Uh, the uh, Plymouth, uh, the, the Barracuda. The guy was on the radio ad and he said, I think you really w would be well served to look into the new Plymouth Baccaruda. <laughs> and the woman said, didn't your mother teach you how to pronounce things properly? It's Barracuda. And he said, that's what I said, Baccaruda. <laughs> <laughs> She said, it's Barracuda. He said, lady, if I could say uh, Barracuda, then I could say Barracuda. You know, it was that kind of a thing. <laughs> you know. 
So, what's the takeaway from Mark's gospel and the widow's might? It's that um, stewardship is what you do with 100% of what you have. It's also that um, the generous impulse needs to be always tempered by a certain degree of humility. That you and I believe that there's enough to go around. That uh, giving out of your abundance is a good thing to do. And the widow recognized that uh, trust in God was all the abundance she needed. Most of us are making that journey and will have to continue to do that. But this is a lesson about the value of doing that. Amen. Amen.